welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. We ended our last podcast discussing John 3.16 and John 20, verses 30 and 31, to show that John was writing to people who were already believers and not to unbelievers. We showed that John 3.16 is not a proposition for unbelievers to believe the gospel and become a child of grace. When clearly reading the text for what it says, it is only saying that he who currently believes has everlasting life. Furthermore, it was shown from John 20, verses 30 and 31, that John wrote the gospel for believers to encourage them to keep on believing. We quoted the renowned Greek scholar A.T. Robertson regarding these verses. He said of verse 20 that the phrase, that ye might believe, is present active subjunctive of pistuo, that you may keep on believing. He further said, and that believing you may have life in his name. Note present active participle with regard to the belief which is continuing to believe, and the present active subjunctive of keep on having. Therefore, John was writing to believers to encourage them to keep on believing and continuing to believe that they would keep on having life in Christ. We concluded by saying many well-known commentators are not honest in their exegesis of this verse. To prove this, I will give comments from various commentators. The following quotes are comments on John 20.31 as supplied by the Bible software program Sword Searcher. Albert Barnes, that ye might believe, this is a clue to the design which John had in view in writing this gospel. The whole scope or end of the book is to accomplish two objects. First, to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And second, that they who looked at the proof might be convinced and have eternal life. This design is kept in view throughout the book. End of quote. Notice that Barnes clearly said that the whole scope or end of the book is to accomplish two objectives, and that the second object was that they who looked at the proof might be convinced and have eternal life. However, Robertson said that the Greek translation is to encourage them to keep on believing and continuing to believe that they would keep on having life in Christ. John Calvin closes his remarks with the following, quote, that believing you may have life. This effect of faith was also added to constrain the foolish longings of men that they may not desire to know more than 
what is sufficient for obtaining life. For what obstinacy was it not to be satisfied with eternal salvation and to wish to go beyond the limits of the heavenly kingdom? Here John repeats for the most important point of his doctrine that we may obtain eternal life by faith. Because while we are out of Christ, we are dead and we are restored to life by his grace alone. End of quote. Though Calvin concluded by saying that we are restored to life by his grace alone, he previously and plainly said, quote, Here John repeats the most important point of his doctrine that we may obtain eternal life by faith. End of quote. In other words, Calvin clearly affirmed that we obtain eternal life by faith. This is contrary to the grammatical interpretation of the Greek text. Ellicott, for those who are unfamiliar with him, Wikipedia says John Charles Ellicott, 1819-1905, was a distinguished English Christian theologian, academic, and churchman. He briefly served as Dean of Exeter, then Bishop of the United See of Gloucester in Bristol. In Bristol, from his Bible commentary for English readers, he said, quote, "We have here the writer's own statement of his object in writing his narrative, and also the explanation of what seems an abrupt end. His object is that." those for whom he writes may become believers and read in these signs the spiritual truths which lay behind them. End of quote. Nothing can be plainer. He said that the object of John is, quote, that those for whom he writes may become believers. Again, we see that this is against the grammatical construction of the text. I ask, why is it that these profound scholars avoid the grammatical construction of the Greek text? Matthew Poole, quote, But he had wrote these to induce his readers to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, a thing of so great concernment to them, that their eternal life depended upon it, for through his name alone eternal life is to be obtained, Acts 4.12, Note again that this commentator also says John, quote, wrote these to induce his readers to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and that their eternal life depended upon it, end of quote. He furthermore said that it is through this that, quote, eternal life is to be obtained, end of quote. John Wesley. Though his comments are brief, they align with the others. He said, quote, but these things are written that ye may believe, that ye may be confirmed in believing, 
faith cometh sometimes by reading, though ordinarily by hearing. End of quote. Many other quotes could be supplied to show that the grammatical construction of the verse is not explained or made known, but an interpretation is supplied to suggest, if not clearly stated, that salvation from the wrath of God and eternal life is obtained when a sinner believes or exercises faith. However, redemption is by the finished work of Christ, plus nothing else. If there is anything to be done by the individual for the sinner to have eternal life, then it is salvation by Christ, plus something else. The above-quoted commentators and the Christian world as a whole believe a person must first exercise faith or first believe for a person to have eternal life. Why is it that such Bible scholars do not explain the true and clear meaning of what God inspired man to write? Likely, it is because it does not fit their theology. We must submit our theology to the plain, clear, and grammatical truth of the Holy Scriptures and not seek to force the Word of God to fit our theology. When schooled and educated men that are supposed to know the language do not accurately define the Scriptures, false teaching will be set forth and believed by those who read their comments. May God rise up faithful men that will labor to study Scriptures and proclaim the truth to the honor and glory of the Lord. Before proceeding further, I want to be clear and say that I certainly do not mean to minimize the importance and essential of faith, but it must be properly understood so that God will be given the full credit and honor for the salvation for His people from His eternal wrath. The Lord permitting, we will show this important when we discuss faith and or belief in the future. The child of God has faith but it is Christ that saves from sin and not faith. Equally, it is by faith that the child of grace receives into his heart and mind the salvation accomplished by Christ. However, that salvation must first exist before it can be received by faith. Faith cannot receive what does not exist. Faith does not create. But, as previously stated, the Lord willing, we will address this in the future. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, he was told that the child Mary was carrying was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, the angel said that the child would be a son, and that his name was Jesus, and that he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1 verses 18 through 21. From the beginning, it was clearly stated that Christ shall save his people from their sins. Notice, he shall save, not he shall make salvation possible, nor that he shall provide salvation. Jesus made it equally clear that his reason for coming to the earth 
was to save those given to him by the Father before creation. Christ testified to the Jews, saying, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. John six thirty eight and 39. Toward the end of his life, while, while praying to the Heavenly Father, Jesus said that God had given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. John 17, 2. Further, in this prayer to the Heavenly Father, Jesus said that he prayed for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. John 17, 9. Some try to avoid these verses by saying that Christ was only praying for his immediate disciples, the apostles. If this should be the case regarding these verses, Jesus further qualified the full intent of his prayer by saying, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. John seventeen twenty. He went on to say of these whom the Father had given him, that the Father loved them as he, that is the Father, loved Christ. If this is not enough, note our Lord's statement in verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. What a profound truth. As we combine verse 23 with verse 24, we see that those given to Christ were not only loved before the foundation of the world, but that they were loved as Christ was loved by the Father. What a blessed thought. We who are believers were not only chosen in Christ before the world was, Ephesians 1.4, but we were also loved as Christ was loved by the Father. Obviously, our sinful minds cannot fully process this glorious truth, but we ought to lay hold on it continually by faith as much as we can. How much we will be able to comprehend in our glorified state, the Holy Scriptures are silent. Without question, we shall be blessed to understand it far better. However, the point of these passages with regard to our current study, is that Christ came to this earth to save. He did not come to make salvation possible, nor to provide salvation. No, He came to save those given to Him by the Heavenly Father before the world was. He did not die for each and every human that ever lived or will live. He died for those given to Him by the Father. Time does not allow us to provide other passages to show in this study that the redemption of Christ was not only limited to in scope, but that it was effectual. The Lord willing, we will continue this in our next study. It is my desire that these truths are a blessing to your soul 
and that you will be blessed to honor and glorify the Lord in his salvation. But our time is up for today. Farewell. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? Visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.